today we'll start with chapter 12. And chapter 12 actually begins a new section in the book of Deuteronomy. So we've gone through chapters uh, 1 through 11, where we have seen that uh, Moses has kind of recaptured the history of the nation of Israel, uh, how it took them uh, about two years uh, to get to the border of promised land. But they were not able to enter the promised land because of their unbelief. And as a punishment, we saw that God sent them back and they were wandering in the wilderness for about 38 years uh, till all the adults died. And we also saw that Moses, uh, during that time, he talked about how God gave them uh, the Ten Commandments and also the Ark uh, of the Covenant into which the Ten Commandments were kept. And, and we also see that Moses kept reinforcing the same message that they need to love the Lord with all of their heart, mind, soul, and strength. They need to put their trust uh, in God, that through God they can overcome uh, all the challenges, they can fight nations, and they can possess the land, and they also need to obey God. So when we look at the uh, history of nation of Israel, we see many miracles, uh, we see many success, but we also see many failures that Moses was trying to remind uh, the second uh, generation or the children of the first uh, generation. So now we get to the second section, which is from chapters uh, 12 through 26, where Moses is uh, expanding on the laws uh, that he gave, the Ten Commandments, and we see that they are being applied to specific uh, situations. So when we look at the laws, uh, we see some ceremonial laws, uh, such as the feast. Uh, we see the civil laws in order to uh, settle disputes or conflicts uh, between different groups or different things that arise when you're living in a society. And we also see laws uh, relating to the moral laws that were given in the Ten Commandments, uh, such as how to deal with murder, and also some sundry laws, uh, example, the diet. So one of the questions that always arises is whether the Old Testament laws, uh, whether they apply to us today, uh, whether they apply to New Testament believers. So your response could be yes, it could be no, it could be yes and no, or you may say you're not really sure. So I think that would be a good question to consider when we uh, finish uh, chapters 12 through 26 uh, to see uh, whether it applies to us or not and how we can respond uh, to that question. So today we'll take a look at uh, chapter 12 and we'll break it up into five sections. And in the first five verses, uh, we see how Moses teaches us uh, how we must uh, prepare for worship in verses 1 through 5. And in verses 6 through 14, uh, we see what we must do uh, at the place uh, that was chosen for worship. And in 15 through 28, uh, we see some instructions that are given uh, with regard to eating and also what we must do with the blood. And in verses 29 to 32, uh, towards the end, we see uh, why we must not inquire of the idolatrous uh, practices of the heathen or the worship of the heathen. And at the end, we can see, uh, has anything changed uh, about worship in the New Testament uh, as we live uh, the New Testament life? Uh, has anything changed uh, about worship? So it's interesting that Moses uh, begins uh, his discussion of the laws uh, by focusing on worship. So, so we'll start with verses, uh, the 
first five verses where uh, Moses reminds us uh, how we must prepare uh, for worship. And since we are looking at worship, uh, when we think of worship, uh, it could simply mean uh, we acknowledge uh, that God is uh, worthy. And that is what we see uh, also in the book of Revelation when the worship is going on. Uh, the focus uh, is on the worthiness of God, that he's worthy of all of our adoration. He's worthy of all of our praise. So we read in Revelation 4.11, uh, Thou art worthy, O Lord, uh, to receive glory, honor, and power. For thou hast uh, created all things, and for thy pleasure they are, and were created. So when we are worshiping the God, we are elevating God, and we are recognizing that uh, God is uh, worthy. And again, in Revelation 5.12, we see saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain uh, to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. So worship is always uh, focused uh, on God. It is always focused on the attributes of God. So worship uh, is not uh, intercessory prayer, uh, even though that is an important uh, aspect uh, of our experience. Uh, it is not uh, a prayer of confession uh, that we see in the Bible, and it is not a prayer of thanksgiving. So when we are worshiping, we are simply acknowledging uh, that God is worthy uh, of all of our adoration and praises. So we'll read uh, verses uh, one through five, uh, where Moses uh, lays down some rules uh, as we prepare for worship. And oftentimes we enter the worship experience uh, in a very uh, spontaneous uh, manner. But when we read the scriptures, uh, there is always uh, a preparation that takes place uh, before the actual uh, worship. So oftentimes we may say that the worship uh, begins at 10 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. But even before we uh, enter uh, the sanctuary, uh, even before we enter the church uh, on Sunday, uh, there should be some preparation that should take place uh, which will make the worship a more meaningful uh, and uh, profitable experience. Yeah, so, so we know that uh, before we can worship the Lord, uh, we should be saved or we should be born again. And from the experience of the Israelites, we can see that when they were redeemed uh, from Egypt, uh, which was the house of bondage, uh, they were chosen by God. And when God brought them out of Egypt, uh, he brought them out uh, with a very uh, specific purpose, and here, when Moses is expounding on the laws, uh, we see that the highest uh, purpose for which the people of Israel were redeemed was so that they can worship God. But of course, uh, they would not know how to worship uh, because they were in Egypt for 400 years. And what they must have observed is what was happening in Egypt uh, in terms of idol worship. So here, the Lord is uh, separating them out uh, from the house of bondage, from the house of darkness, and he's going to take them into a very uh, different uh, experience. Uh, he's going to take them into a very uh, elevated uh, worship experience, and that is one of the biggest uh, experience that they are going to have uh, once they uh, Egypt or once they leave the house of bondage. So we know that people of Israel, they are already chosen by God, so that's important. Uh, before we can worship the Lord, we need to be saved. And secondly, here Moses is reminding them, uh, as you're preparing yourself to worship, uh, you should deal with all the sinful uh, influences, 
or all the idols uh, that you have uh, in your life. And here it is given to us in a very graphic way that in verse two, you should utterly destroy all the places uh, where the nations which ye shall possess uh, serve their gods upon high mountains, upon hills, and every green tree. So Moses is telling them that uh, as they enter the promised land, uh, they need to destroy all the places uh, where the Canaanites uh, were worshipping uh, false gods or worshipping their gods, whether it was on the mountain, whether it was on the hills or under uh, every green tree. And everything should be completely destroyed. So he speaks about overthrowing their altars, uh, breaking their pillars and burning the groves uh, with fire. So he's talking about before uh, you can have a worship experience, uh, you need to destroy all the sinful uh, influences in your life. Uh, you need to destroy the idols. And as we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse uh, 21, uh, when Moses came down from the mount and when he saw the people worshiping uh, the golden image, and uh, we read in verse 21 of chapter 9, uh, I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and burnt it with fire and stamped it and ground it very small even until it was as small as dust, and I cast the dust thereof into the brook that descended out of the mount. So we see that God takes a sin very seriously. Uh, God takes idols uh, very seriously. And if you're coming into the presence of God to worship him, then we all should, should take sin uh, very seriously, and we should deal with that sin uh, before we enter into a time of worship. And here uh, in verse 5, we see that as they are entering the promised land, uh, Moses is telling them that they should prepare to worship uh, by going uh, to a specific place uh, that is uh, chosen by God. So we will see later on also that there is a lot of emphasis that is placed on going to a specific place uh, to offer the worship, to offer the sacrifices. So God had taken them from Egypt. Uh, to a different place, and as he is taking them uh, to a different place, uh, he is teaching them that the rules of worship uh, must be different. Uh, the way they conduct uh, themselves uh, will be different, and it is uh, at that place that they will offer their sacrifices and offerings. So we see that uh, in the Promised Land, the Israelites they always uh, traveled as a group. Uh, they always uh, came together as a group. <laughs> Uh, for corporate worship, and all the sacrifices were made uh, at that place. And we know that later on, uh, Solomon also built uh, the temple uh, at the same place. And we also see that uh, they should not be worshipping like the Canaanites. And when we look uh, at the worship of heathen, or when we look at the worship of unbelievers, uh, they are worshipping idols, they are worshipping images. Uh, which is what people of Canaan must have been doing. And their worship was often uh, immoral, or it was pursued for uh, personal pleasures uh, rather than to exalt God. And many of their worship also included uh, satanic and demonic uh, practices. So we should not be worshiping like the Canaanites, but God wanted them to have a unique and a very special experience. Uh, as they come into the promised land. In the next section, uh, in verses 6 to 14, uh, Moses gives them uh, some more instructions 
in terms of what they must do uh, at the chosen uh, place of worship. So God has brought them out of Egypt. Uh, he is going to take them to the promised land. And within the promised land, uh, he is telling them uh, as a group uh, that they need to go to a chosen place to offer their worship, to offer their sacrifices. Okay, so we read from Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 10, where uh, we talked about the promised land. And for the land where thou goest into possess is not as the land of Egypt. So we saw that uh, last week when we did Deuteronomy chapter 11, that God was taking them uh, to a special place. And it is not the same uh, as the land of Egypt. Uh, it was to be a very different place. Uh, we can say it is a chosen place and it would be uh, characterized by a very different uh, worship uh, experience. So this was a chosen uh, generation uh, that was going to the chosen place after spending nearly 400 years in Egypt and about 40 years uh, in the wilderness. So if you stayed at the same place uh, for 400 years, then obviously uh, you would have learned uh, many things uh, from uh, Egyptians, many wrong things. But God's desire is that once he has brought them out, uh, he wants to uh, change them. He wants to give them a different uh, perspective. And that's going to begin uh, with the worship experience. So we see that also in our own life. Then when God leads us uh, to a new place, uh, he also gives us a new plan, uh, which is an indication that God wants to do something new uh, in our life. Uh, he wants to do something different uh, in our life. So God will never uh, take us uh, to a new place uh, without a plan. So God did not uh, take the people of Israel uh, to promised land and abandon them. But here we see that uh, God gave them very uh, detailed uh, instructions, uh, even before they stepped uh, into the promised land, uh, telling them that uh, he had a special plan uh, for the chosen people. Uh, he had a special worship experience uh, for his uh, chosen people. And as we read the scriptures, we see that God uh, gave the principles of worship and God also gave the pattern for worship, uh, which led to a truly elevated worship experience, uh, which was very different uh, from the worship that they would have seen uh, in Egypt and the worship that they would have seen among the Canaanites in the promised land. So the emphasis uh, is on the chosen place the old places had to be destroyed, as we saw in verse 2 and 3, and the old places had to be replaced with a new uh, set of people, which is the people of Israel coming and occupying that land, and it had to be replaced with a new chosen place uh, of worship. So that is uh, emphasized uh, in many places uh, in this section, the section that we read from 6 through 14. Uh, in verse 5, it says, unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes uh, to put his name there, even unto his habitation uh, shall he seek, and thither uh, thou shalt come. So the instruction is very clear that God is going to uh, prepare a special place, and that is where they should come. And in verse 6 and 11, uh, it tells them that is where they should bring their offerings and so on. And verse 7 tells them that is where they should eat and rejoice. And again in verse 14, it tells them, but in the place which the Lord shall choose, uh, there thou shalt offer thy burnt offerings, and there thou shalt do all that I command thee. 
So we see that God is uh, very specific uh, in his uh, instructions. And when God gives uh, very specific uh, instructions, uh, he also expects us that we obey that uh, commandment. We obey those instructions uh, sincerely. And that is when we see blessings uh, in our life. So we can uh, summarize uh, verses 6 through 14 and also 26. So in chapter 12, we see that many uh, sections kind of repeat uh, themselves uh, within the same chapter. So we'll try to do it together uh, in the interest of time. So uh, there are six things that we can pick up uh, in this portion. Uh, in verses 6 and 11, we see that uh, they were required to bring seven items. And in verses 7 and 12, uh, we are told they should eat and rejoice with everyone. So worship has to be a corporate uh, experience, which includes uh, everyone. And verse 8, that they should not do what every man pleases, uh, or they should not do uh, like they have learned uh, in Egypt, or like their neighbors in Canaan might be doing. Uh, they need to follow the divine order. And verse 13 tells us they should not go to a different place. And fifthly, in verse 14, that they should do all that God commanded them. And in verse 26, uh, we see that they should not bring unholy things uh, into a holy place. So we'll just take a look at these uh, very quickly. So in verse 6, uh, we, uh, we see what they should bring uh, to the uh, place of worship or the place that the Lord has chosen. So we see that the uh, burnt offerings, uh, that is the first thing that is mentioned. And burnt offerings, uh, as we read from Leviticus chapter 1, where we are reminded of all the offerings, uh, it is an offering that is given to God uh, fully. So the entire offering is given to God, uh, which is different from other offerings, uh, which are shared among God and the priests and also the people. And the second thing that they are asked to bring uh, is the uh, sacrifices. And when we come to the New Testament, uh, again, the emphasis uh, is on sacrifices, uh, as we read in Hebrews uh, 10, 12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, uh, sat down on the right hand of God. So in the Old Testament, uh, many sacrifices were made. But in the New Testament, we are reminded that there was only one sacrifice that was made, uh, which was uh, Lord Jesus Christ. And it covered all the sins, and it covered the sins forever. So in the book of Deuteronomy, the people of Israel, they must have offered uh, sacrifices uh, repeatedly. But in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ uh, fully paid for our sins. Uh, so there was no need for further uh, sacrifices. And we are also reminded in Hebrews 13, uh, 15 through 16, uh, that we should offer the sacrifice of praise uh, to God uh, continually, uh, which is the fruit uh, of our lips, uh, but to do good and to communicate, uh, forget not, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. So that's a principle that carries forward uh, from the Old Testament. Uh, worship is not simply uh, about exalting God, but we also see that the worship uh, has an element uh, of compassion uh, that we also read, that the Levites uh, should be taken care of, uh, as part of the worship experience. Uh, the entire family should be participating in the worship experience. And later on, it also says that the strangers uh, should also be part of the worship experience. 
And Paul writing in Hebrews says to do good and to communicate, uh, forget not, for with such uh, sacrifices, God is well pleased. And we know that we read this often from Romans 12.1, that we need to present our bodies uh, as a living sacrifice. So we are not taking dead uh, animals uh, to a worship experience, but we are offering ourselves uh, as a living uh, sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. So that's the second thing that's mentioned, that we should bring our burnt offerings. We should bring uh, sacrifices. Then it mentions uh, we should bring tithes. And that is, uh, we'll cover that later in Deuteronomy chapter 14. But we know that uh, tithes uh, were given by the people of Israel uh, to the Levites, and the Levites uh, gave a portion uh, to the priests. And we also see that the people not only brought tithes, uh, which was one-tenth uh, to, the, to the temple, but they also gave one-tenth uh, every three years uh, to the poor. So again, that is consistent with what Paul reminds us, that to do good, and to communicate uh, forget-nots. So there's again the element of compassion uh, that is tied to the entire uh, experience. And we also see a heave offering, which is not really a special kind of offering. Uh, it is just a gift uh, that is brought, uh, similar to free will offering. And then we read about any vow that is made or any oath uh, that is made. So we need to keep uh, the promises uh, that we make to God uh, in terms of the sacrifices. And in Deuteronomy 23, 21 to 23, we read, when thou shalt vow a vow unto the Lord thy God, thou shalt not slack uh, to pay it, for the Lord thy God will surely require it of thee, and it would be a sin in thee. But if thou shalt forbear to vow, it shall be no sin in thee. That which is gone out of thy lips, thou shalt keep and perform. So here, Moses is reminding us that uh, what we say with our lips or what we promise to God, uh, we should keep our promise. So we should not be uh, carried away by our emotions and make all kinds of promises uh, that we cannot keep. Uh, if we make uh, oath uh, or vow to the Lord, we should also keep and perform. And the last thing that they are asked to bring is the first links. Uh, which we read about in Deuteronomy 15 and verse 19, all the firstling males that come out of thy herd and out of thy flock, thou shalt sanctify unto the Lord thy God. Thou shalt do no work uh, with the firstling of thy bullock, nor shear the firstling of thy sheep. So that's similar to bringing the first fruits uh, to the Lord or giving the best uh, to the Lord before we consume anything. So those are the seven things uh, that Moses mentions in verse six that they should bring uh, to the place. And secondly, uh, we read uh, in verses seven and 12, uh, at, that, at that place of worship, uh, there should be eating and rejoicing. So there should be rejoicing that takes place uh, before the Lord or before that place. And the understanding is that uh, if they do it uh, privately, uh, they may forget uh, the source of blessing, but if they come to the place, uh, if they come to the tabernacle, if they come to the Ark of the Covenant, they are reminded of the presence of God, and they are also reminded that God is the source of all the blessings. And we see that uh, in our life, when we distance ourselves from the Lord, 
Uh, oftentimes we take credit for all the good things that we have. Oftentimes we take credit, credit for all the blessings that we have. But when we keep our focus on the Lord, uh, we are able to recognize that he is the source of all our blessings. So they are told that need to eat and rejoice uh, before the Lord. And we are also told in verses 7, 12, and 18 that this experience uh, has to be a corporate uh, experience. Uh, they should rejoice as a family uh, with servants and Levites. And obviously the servants uh, in many families, in many places, uh, the servants uh, may not be treated right. But here God is reminding us that when we come for worship, uh, everyone should be treated uh, well and the rejoicing should be a common experience. And of course, the Levites, uh, we saw last week uh, that they don't have uh, any portion uh, in the physical land. So they depended on the other tribes uh, to take care of their physical needs. And God made uh, provision that way that they are taken care of. And it also says uh, later on that we should rejoice uh, even with the strangers, the fatherless and the widows. Uh, as we read in Deuteronomy 16 and verse 11. So we see that uh, even the strangers are being pulled uh, into that worship experience. So it's a completely uh, inclusive uh, experience. Uh, it is a time of uh, rejoicing for everyone. Okay, and thirdly, in verse 8, uh, we are reminded that uh, you shall not do after all the things that we do here today. Uh, every man doing what is right uh, in his own eyes. So when they were in the wilderness or when they were in Egypt, uh, if they go back to their memories, uh, they may end up doing as their heart pleases, or they may end up copying what the Canaanites were doing or what the Egyptians were doing. Uh, but here God is reminding them that when they come to that special place, uh, they shouldn't apply their wisdom uh, they shouldn't apply their knowledge or their past uh, experience. Uh, they need to do what is right in God's eyes. So God has a divine order uh, for the sanctuary. God has a divine order for his temple, his place of worship. And the people are reminded that they need to follow those instructions. And fourthly, they are told, uh, do not look uh, elsewhere. So oftentimes uh, we might be tempted to look for alternate sites. But in this portion, we are reminded that there is only one place uh, that is chosen for the people of God uh, to gather, and they should not be looking uh, here and there or looking for alternate places uh, to come together, to gather, to worship, or they should not even make uh, multiple groups and have their own worship experience uh, in multiple places. So it had to be a common experience where people come together. So we know that there is something special when God's people uh, gather for worship. So that could happen in our church. It could happen in many other churches. And Paul reminds us in Hebrews uh, 10, 25, that we should not forsake uh, the assembling together uh, as the manner of summers. So we know that with the advances uh, in the technology like Zoom and YouTube and TV and everything else, a lot of times people might find comfort uh, in simply uh, listening, to, uh, listening to YouTubes or other uh, transmission that is going on 24 seven. 
But God says uh, there is a time and a place where people need to come together uh, for worship. And here the sacrifices need to be offered uh, only at the place that is chosen by God. So uh, the application for us is that the worshiping at home, uh, it cannot uh, substitute for worshiping at Lord's house. And of course, uh, we might be worshiping at home uh, six days a week or seven days a week, but that cannot uh, substitute for coming together with God's people uh, to worship on a Sunday as we do every Sunday. And Paul also reminds us that we should not forsake that corporate experience. And fifthly, he reminds that there should be complete uh, obedience, uh, as we read in verse 14, but in the place which the Lord shall choose, do all that I command thee. So we need to practice a complete uh, obedience. Uh, if God is giving us all the instructions, then we need to follow all the instructions. We should not uh, take away pieces of it based on our convenience or based on our thinking. And we see that uh, anytime there is partial or delayed obedience in our life, uh, it is really uh, disobedience uh, from God's eyes. And any disobedience uh, brings the chastisement of God, or any disobedience uh, takes away the full blessings that the Lord has kept for us. And in verse 26, uh, we are told uh, you should take uh, only the holy things uh, to the chosen place. So in verse 26, it says, only the holy things which thou hast and thy vows thou shalt take and go unto the place which the Lord shall choose. And again, the emphasis is on the place that the Lord has chosen. Uh, it is a holy place and holy place uh, should be kept uh, sacred and we should show reverence uh, to the place that God has chosen in our life. So we should not uh, adulterate uh, holy with unholy things. We should not adulterate uh, what is holy with uh, unholy practices or traditions that we bring uh, into the church or any practices that we bring into the worship experience that God has not ordained. And when we look at our own personal life, the Bible reminds us that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if that is the case, uh, we should not abuse our body with unholy things, whether it's in, in a physical realm or in a spiritual realm. So that's a summary of verse 6 through 14 and 26, where Moses is reminding them about six things uh, that they need to do. They need to bring uh, seven items of offerings and sacrifices and tithes. And secondly, they need to eat and rejoice with the family, servants, and Levites. And thirdly, they should not do what every man uh, pleases because there is a divine order for everything. And they should not look for alternate sites or alternate places. And fifthly, uh, they need to practice a complete uh, obedience. And sixthly, as we saw, they should not bring unholy things. And in verses 15 through 28, uh, which is the next uh, portion, we see uh, what instructions are given uh, with regard to eating and what uh, we must do uh, with the blood. Okay, in verse 15 and also verse 20 to 22, we see that uh, we have been given freedom uh, to eat. Okay, so here we are given some instructions uh, in terms of eating, and we are told that we can kill and eat uh, all flesh or all meat 
uh, that is not uh, specifically forbidden. So if you go to Leviticus uh, chapter 11, uh, it mentions what they can eat and what they cannot eat. And here they are given the freedom that they can eat uh, all of that. And both the clean and the unclean people, they can eat the regular food. And we know that uh, people may be deemed uh, unclean uh, if they if they touch a dead body or if they touch a carcass. But here, when they are eating for the regular consumption, uh, Moses is telling them uh, both clean and unclean people can eat the regular food uh, that is killed and not offered as a sacrifice. And we are also given uh, practical instructions that they don't have to take uh, everything that they kill or, or everything that they kill for eating. Uh, to the chosen place uh, before they eat. So again, that's a practical advice that is given. Uh, if they are too far from the chosen place, then they don't have to take the meat there and offer it first uh, in the temple or in the tabernacle and then consume it. So, and we are also given very specific uh, instructions uh, in terms of how to treat uh, the blood. And we read that in verse 16 and also 23 to 25 and also verse 27. So uh, this is given to us in the laws that are given in Deuteronomy, but if you go back to Genesis, uh, we see the same principle uh, regarding the blood. In verse 4 of Genesis 9, it says, but flesh with the life thereof, uh, which is the blood uh, thereof, uh, shall he not eat. So blood is uh, associated with life, and that is why it should not be eaten. So blood must be completely drained. So when they are killing animals, uh, they need to completely uh, drain out the blood before they eat the flesh. And if they are using that meat uh, for regular consumption, uh, then we read that the blood must be poured back to the earth, as we read in verse 16 and 24. And if they are using the blood for sacrifices, then the blood should be poured uh, by the altar. And again, the emphasis is on obedience. In verse 25, do what is right. Uh, in the eyes of the Lord. So when we do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, uh, we are blessed and our children are blessed uh, after us. And in Leviticus uh, chapter 17, uh, 11 through 14, uh, it again tells us why we should not eat blood. Uh, as we read in verse 11, it says, for the life of the flesh is uh, in the blood and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement uh, for your souls for it is the blood that makes an atonement uh, for the soul. And verse 12, therefore I said unto the children of Israel, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. blood. And verse 14, for it is the life of all flesh, the blood of it for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof. Whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. So the punishment for eating the blood uh, we see is that uh, they would be cut off. And blood is associated with life, which is given by God. And it is also associated uh, with the sacrifice that was made on the cross. So there is that sacredness uh, that is attached uh, to blood as something very precious. As we read in Hebrews uh, 9.22, uh, that almost all things are by law purged with blood, 
and without shedding of blood is no remission. And in Ephesians 2.13 and 1 Peter 1.19, uh, we are told that we are redeemed by the blood of Christ. So blood is seen as something very precious. Uh, it is seen as a symbol of life. Uh, it is seen as a symbol of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, sacrificing his blood as, a, as an atonement uh, for our sins. And uh, even though we have the freedom to eat, uh, Paul reminds us in Romans and also in 1 Corinthians 10, that uh, we should not uh, eat anything if it's going to cause anyone to stumble or anyone to be offended or to be made weak. And 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he reminds us that whatsoever we eat or drink, uh, we should do it to the glory of God. And we'll close here uh, in verse 28 uh, towards the end. Uh, we are again reminded of the blessings of obedience that Moses has been teaching us uh, throughout these chapters. And in verse 28, it says, Observe and hear all these words which I command thee, that it may go well with thee and with thy children after thee forever, when thou doest that which is good and right in the sight of the Lord thy God. So we see that obedience uh, leads to blessings in our life, and it also flows uh, to the next uh, generation. So that, uh, so that, uh, that is the added responsibility that we have, that we need to obey God because it will impact the next uh, generation. Number four, why we must not inquire of the idolatrous uh, practices of the heathen or the worship experiences of the heathen people. Okay, so here uh, we are given a final warning. So the people of Israel, they are entering uh, Canaan and obviously they are going to see the practices of the heathen people. So Moses is warning them that they should not pay attention to what the heathen are doing uh, in terms of their worship or in terms of how they are treating their gods. And we know that curiosity can lead us uh, astray. And sometimes we get very curious about what's happening elsewhere. And we are drawn into that experience. We, have, we fall into all kinds of temptations. So Moses is reminding them that they should remain uh, within the boundaries that the Lord has kept for them uh, in terms of the worship experience. So, so the heathen nations, uh, they should not become our role models for worship. Uh, we should not be influenced by what they are doing uh, outside uh, in terms of worship. And we know that the heathen nations, they worship false gods or idols and they seek uh, personal pleasure, uh, even through worship experience, through all kinds of immoral things, and they practice uh, abominable things like sacrificing their own children. So Moses uh, is warning them that they should not learn uh, from the experience of the heathen people, so they should try to disassociate themselves uh, from this uh, evil influences. And as we read the scriptures, we see that the children worship uh, actually started with King Solomon. And we know that King Solomon, even though he was wise, uh, he married uh, outside his faith and he was led astray by his uh, heathen wives. So again, that's a warning that is given to us, uh, how most Solomon was led astray in the same way uh, the people of Israel, they could be led astray in the promised land. Uh, but in the end, it was put to an end by King Josiah, as we read in 2 Kings 23. 
So the final verse uh, reminds us that whatsoever I command you, observe to do it, uh, you shall not add or diminish. So that's what Moses has been reminding us, that we need to obey God 100%. We need to trust in God 100%. And we need to love God 100%. And when we do that, uh, the blessings will be ours uh, in the promised land. So we should not edit uh, God's instructions, whether it relates to worship or anything else. If God has told us how it should be done, we should follow the instructions we should follow the divine order that is given to us in the scriptures.